You're listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome back to Humanize Me. I'm Bart Campolo. This is still my podcast. And that means you are still my audience. And that is something I am very grateful for. I'm really glad you're here. Like I'm so, I've been hearing so many nice things from people um, all over the place about the podcast. And it kind of is exciting. It makes me feel like, hey, we're really doing something here. And, and so much of it is... I like this conversation. I like that conversation. But I'll tell you a whole lot of what I hear is, I got a question. Or why don't you ever talk about this? Or what about this other thing? And so I was talking with John, um, who produces the podcast and is kind of my partner in crime on this stuff. And John was saying, yeah, man. He said, and I'm on that Facebook thing and and, and there's there's people asking questions and, and, and I think you ought to answer some of them. And so... We, you know, he said, why don't, why don't you have me come on the podcast and, and we'll, we'll, I'll ask you some of those questions. And so, sneak attack, John is here right now. He's on the podcast. John, there you hey. are. Say hey. hey. Hi, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it would just be a nice idea to, to look at that Facebook page because there, uh, for people who don't know, and it's kind of a semi-secret, semi-private, not-so-private, not-so-secret thing, uh, the Humanize Me Facebook group that exists for listeners of this podcast. And a lot of people have been, it's been very active lately. I think it has over 400 members now, just people who, you know, for being a completely kind of unadvertised, just organic thing, it's very cool. And it's now a little kind of nucleus community going on. So it's It's cool. And our friend Bob runs it. Yeah, our friend Bob Cleary runs it. Uh, and, you know, there's just so many questions that are asked and so many things that come up, and I thought you it'd be perfect to throw some of them at you. So, so I was at the Wild Goose Festival down in North Carolina. Yeah, how'd that go? Well, it was awesome. I mean, like, it's this sort of all-the-way-on-the-edge Christian festival that I spoke at, like, my last year as a Christian. That was, like, the last place <laughs> they, they wanted me. And I did a talk that everyone was sort yes. of like, I think he's... I think he's announcing his departure. Um, and uh, and then I haven't been there for five years. And they had me back this year as the resident sort of humanist chaplain saying, hey, you know what? At, at a thing like this where there are, you know, eight or 900 people there that are on the edge of Christianity, probably 10 years from now, a lot of them will be on the other side. And it yeah. might be nice to have somebody from the future come back and say, this is what you got to watch out for. This is how you tell your family, or this is this is how you make sense of life on the other side. So it was it was a huge privilege. I mean, I just this, loved it. it. Is this their way of saying it, or is this your way? Well, of no. I mean, it? I mean, if you've been running the Wild Goose for seven years, you would know that yeah. that a significant number of people that were there as Christians seven years ago, some of them are still there, but they're there as post Christians now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and the other thing is, everybody at that thing is to the left of their family some way. Whether it's about gay rights or or about um, you know abortion or about you know whether or not everybody goes to heaven or whatever their theological thing is, so everybody is in the same position that I'm in, where or whether it's just Trump versus not right. Trump, and so everybody has a conversation that they need to have with somebody who believes very differently, and so Brian McLaren, one of my favorite Christian people, I need to get him on this podcast. He's just one That'd of my cool. he's one of my favorite people in the world, but he and I did a session about how you talk to people 
who are in a very different place than you are. And, nice. it, and it was beautiful. Yeah. 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 But anyway, there was a reason. Oh, oh, all these people kept coming up to me and saying, hey, I'm on that Facebook group. And one guy said, yeah, he said, I went in there and he said, I think I acted a little inappropriately because uh, I didn't know what it was. And he said, everybody was so nice to me. Everybody was like, yeah, well, this is not how we do things here. But no, and yeah, he said, it's a nice crowd. Yeah, it is. He, he said it was amazing. Yeah, they're they're really nice. Well, do you want me just to start? You want me just to start throwing some stuff at you? Go for it. I mean, like, well, and I just thought it would be cool in this li- sort of live setting because I think it's a lot more it's a lot more fun if you haven't necessarily seen these questions or heard of them, or it it feels kind of natural then, and it's nice. Yeah, I mean, well, if, if you want it to seem natural, like I don't know what you're going to ask me, this is the then way to do this it. This is it. <laughs> okay, let me read you the first one. And by the way, I'm going to keep all these kind of anonymous because. And there's some longer, some shorter, but I just don't want to out anybody uh, by name. Yeah, and you'll and you'll and, and and you'll change details. Like if somebody's in Wyoming, you'll put them Absolutely. in in Idaho. Okay. Yeah, there's nothing that specific. Great. Okay. So so this so this guy says, "Hey everybody, I've been on a journey of deconstructing my faith for the the last four years or so. I relate to so much of Bart's story. It felt like my loss of faith was the death of a thousand cuts. So last Tuesday, I told my wife that I no longer believe." She is great and saw this coming a mile away. She's not worried for my soul, but she's worried about how to go forward as a family. I lead worship at my church on the board for almost 10 years. My pastor is one of my oldest and closest friends. I volunteer in kids' church, etc. Obviously, going from believer to unbeliever is a big change. My pastor didn't actually mind how far I had gone with my questions and conclusions, He appreciated that I took it seriously enough to wrestle with these questions. But now, as an unbeliever, it's obviously going to change my involvement as a leader at the church. I haven't told my pastor yet. How long would you take to talk about this with your pastor? Also, is it healthy to keep going to church, or is it better to take a step back and take a break? I love my community. It's a very healthy church. I just don't want to harm anyone or for anyone to try to fix me. Wow. I mean, that's a very common situation, except the part about the spouse being great and understanding and not, you know, like that, that sometimes is a lot harder, but, but, but it, it is, when somebody's deeply involved in a Christian community, what's interesting is, is that a lot of times doubt is honored. And so the pastor and everyone could know this guy's like wrestling with doubt. He's asking big questions. And in fact, doubt you know, as as Kester Bruin sometimes says, doubt gets fetishized, where they go like, ooh, you're a true believer. I mean, the sign of your deep love is that you're struggling with doubt. But when you cross over from doubt into, I don't want to call it certainty. Well, I guess, you know, it, it's, it, but, but con- conviction. Conviction. There's a yeah. great word. Yeah. When yeah. you cross over from doubt into conviction and you say like, you know what? I'm going to proceed as though there is no God because it's kind of my conviction that there isn't. Then everything changes. I think when you're doubting, like everybody still, everybody treats you with kid gloves and actually wants to be nicer than usual to you and more understanding than usual to you because they, they want to keep you in the fold. But when you cross over to the other side, a lot of times, a lot of relationships shift very quickly. Um, I, I know this way, when, I, when I'm moving, um, I'm living in a neighborhood, and as long as people think that like, oh, are you thinking about moving back to Ohio? But when you finally tell them like, yeah, actually we're moving on August 19th, all of a sudden nobody wants to have dinner with you anymore. <laughs> it's like you're, yeah. you're yesterday's news. Right. Um, so 
so he, but here's the other thing is that a lot of times this guy has had four years to get used to the idea that he doesn't believe in God. Slowly, slowly get to that place. But most of the people in his church, when he tells them, they haven't been paying as close attention to him as he might think. And they will be surprised. And so sometimes what I think you have to do is you have to bring somebody along. Like you've already made your decision, but you don't start out by saying, I know where I'm at. You start mm. out by saying, boy, I'm really questioning now. Like, so sort of the difference between making a declaration and opening a conversation. Yeah. And you start talking about certain things in past tense. Like, like when I was, when, when it's funny, it's a wild goose. Brian McQuire took all the stuff I was saying and he said, like, basically you're saying that when you tell your family this stuff that you don't believe anymore, you start out by, talk, by, by gratitude and explaining all the things that you're grateful for that you got out of growing up in church. And then you, and then you move to confession, like, ah, but this is what I can't believe anymore. And then you go to reassurance and you go like, but I'm still going to care about poor people and, you know, you know and, and, and share these values and stuff like that. What I would say is, is that for this guy, he needs to start with the gratitude and he needs to almost like a guy who knows he's going to die. And he starts saying to his family, you know what? I've been, it's been so wonderful being your dad, kids. I've just loved being your dad. And he, and, and a friend comes in and he goes like, you know what? Being, being the football coach at that school was one of the greatest honors of my life. And they're all going like, wait, you're going to get better, aren't you? But like, he knows he's not going to get better. And that lets them know that he thinks he's not going to get better. And they may go, oh, coach, you're going to be all right. But like, it starts the conversation about what if this is the end? In mm-hmm. the same way, I think that this guy needs to sit down with the pastor and say, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I sure am grateful that I was raised a Christian. Now, I, don't, I don't know where this is going, but, but you know, your teachings about loving people have been really good for me. And even if I don't end up a Christian, I think I'm going to be grateful for having been here. And, and, and that way, it's easing people into it. And he's also able to gauge their reactions. And then he can sort of slow down or speed up depending on how they respond. Because if somebody goes like, right. wow, you know, that, that's, I mean, it's great that you, th- I feel the same way. I don't believe in God either. Then he can go like, oh, okay, well, then I can tell you. But, mm. but you sort of got to soften people up before you drop the hammer. And I suppose ultimately he may not end up being able to stay at that church. It just seems... Well, that's going to really be more about the church than it right. is about I, him. Because yeah. his wife and kids, I mean, will still want him I mean, to go. Just, to Just, some people, this is obvious stuff. People at a Christian church are Christians, right? But uh, in actual fact, it's a lot more gray. In the real world, there are actually a lot of unbelievers that go to church. Absolutely. Not, but there aren't as many open unbelievers. Right. And I think go. what yeah. he's really asking is, can I go as an open unbeliever? And I think that mm. the answer is, depends on the church. And depends on your wife. Like she may be like, it's distracting having you there because I'm always wondering like, what's he thinking of this? Or <laughs> she may be like, this is great because this is important to me and I want to be able to come home and talk to you about like what I heard or what I thought. And, and, and she may be like, so as somebody who doesn't believe in God, like what do you think of that sermon? Or what do you, like what do you think of what's happening? Like I've seen couples that really have a kind of almost an anthropological interest in each other. It's like, mm. You're a different species. 
So tell me, <laughs> how how does it work for you for for those of your kind? And wh- what do you think of this? And he and if he can remain interested and say, listen, I may not believe in the narrative, but like there are better and worse kinds of Christianity, and that seemed to me to be an accurate portrayal of a way to be a Christian. Like he can still, I like believe me, I can go to church with my parents and come home and sort of go like, I thought that was cool or I wasn't okay with that. But like, yeah. on, 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 you can too, on on, yeah, yeah. on their behalf. On I'm, mm-hmm. I'm looking at it through their eyes. Absolutely. Well, I, so, and I guess, the, so the short answer to the question of, is it healthy to keep going to that church? It depends on the church. And, yeah, and, and on that level, it also depends on him because a lot of times when somebody leaves Christianity, if they've been hurt, it doesn't sound like this guy's been hurt, but if they've been hurt or if they felt like they suffered um, unnecessarily, or if they feel duped, if they feel mm-hmm. like this thing is, sometimes people go through an angry phase and it, sometimes it's better to pull away while you're angry so that you don't say things that you'll regret or do things that you'll regret. And then later when the anger has passed and you've kind of put some things in perspective and you feel a little bit more confident in communicating your your secular humanism in a positive way, that then maybe you can you can sort of venture back in as a visitor. But I think I think if somebody's worried that they're going to pop off and say something um, that they'll you know that they'll regret, you you can do a lot of damage in that angry atheist phase. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good deal. You ready yeah. for the next one? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could go on for an hour and a half. No, I know. That. And that's let, the thing with not. all we of won't. these. Okay. That's the thing with all of these. And you, and because you're such a a, a, a chaplain, such a pastor, you want to like solve all those problems. Uh, call me. I'll help you. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Number two. I am a secular humanist. The part that makes me doubt my beliefs, as a secular humanist, is when people do such horrible things to each other, including all the horrendous things that have happened in Syria. If you are a secular humanist, or at least lean that way, how do you reconcile this? Are we just daydreaming, thinking that the human race could actually become peaceful? I am having a hard time having any faith in humanity. So it's an interesting question she has, isn't it? Kind of like from discussing losing faith in God to discussing losing faith in humanity and how that might affect her religion as a humanist. I, You know, John, I think a lot of people— when they leave Christianity in particular, they, they stop believing in God, but they continue to believe in the depravity of man. <laughs> right. And so what happens is, is that that's one of the reasons it's so scary for some people and they become dis- despair is they go like, there's no God looking out for us and we suck. We are terrible. We left to our own devices without, except by the grace of God, we're, we're vicious, horrible, animals. And so like, that's a real problem. But the solution to that problem is not some kind of Pollyanna. No, no, no. Actually, we human beings are evolving towards perfection. And one day we will eliminate all conflict and all, like, there is no evidence to suggest that we are morally progressing towards, you know, some kind of like, moral perfection anyone who sells you utopia any 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 faith that tells sells you eternal utopia is lying and any scientist that tells you that science will ultimately solve all our problems and we will be we will be you know kind of conflict free and pain free and kindness only things 
fact of the matter is we're evolved to cooperate with one another and we're evolved to compete that our genes have propagated and, and like have naturally selected through a, a combination of selfishness and altruism and so you know there are moments when the best thing for my dna my selfish genes that want to go forward is for me to help you john because like by cooperating we'll ensure a safer village for both of our children and both of our dna like so my best thing is not to kill you but is to to love you right and that doesn't involve any sort of delusions of utopia no no it's just like that's that's a reality but you know there are other times when like the resources get really short and we're on the island and there's only like so much food you're gonna eat me i you know if it's you or my kid <laughs> if it's you or a puppy i'm gonna eat the puppy and share it with right. you but if it's you or my kid i'm gonna eat you and share you with my kid <laughs> And, and you say, that's horrible. Can that be the next quote on your uh, Facebook page? Yeah, yeah. And you, know, that, you say that's horrible, but here's the weird thing is, there may come a time where, since you're younger than me, where I may look and I might go, you know what? It would be better for the tribe. It would be better for my children and my grandchildren if John lives and I die. And so then I might turn my food over to you and I might actually be happier seeing you go on. That might actually... I might, I might, I might die sort of content because I go like, he'll take care of our kids because like they're part of the same tribe. I couldn't do that. And so you mm. say, what are you saying? What I'm saying is, is that the universe doesn't care. The universe isn't progressing towards any kind of moral perfection. The universe just keeps churning. And so the, do you think this lady's expectation that we are going, you know, she says, are we just daydreaming, thinking that we could actually become peaceful? That yes. doesn't, you, you say yes. Yeah, I'll tell you what, we can become more peaceful. Like we, like we can get better. And in individual times, humanity has had moments of, you know, of getting really better. But then something might happen that will like, in a sense, like bomb us back to the stone age. Or like the zombie apocalypse will happen and then we all suddenly get to get competitive again because the resources are short. And so I think we can always be getting better, but we can never achieve perfection. And we may sometimes be thrown back upon ourselves. And the fact of the matter is, is even if we could morally progress, we'll morally progress to a point and then the sun will explode and we'll all be dead. And so the point of morality is not to like move us towards some ultimate nirvana. The point is, is that in this moment, like in this, in our lifetimes, we can either make the most of this opportunity to be alive or not make the most of it. And the way for right. us to make the most of it is to make as much progress individually and collectively as we can in this moment. Okay. Great. Great. Wait, can I say one more thing? Yeah. She's losing faith in humanity. And what I want to say is, is that those people are under a lot of pressure. But of course, in some ways, one of the problems of our modern technological society is, is that we're aware of suffer. If it bleeds, it leads. And so the worst things that are happening all around the world are the things that we hear about. But I promise you that there are acts of beauty and kindness happening in Syria right now that aren't so newsworthy and that she's not hearing about. 
the human species is complicated and there's there's love right. happening and so you know one of the things i would say is is that if when you start to lose faith in humanity it may be that you're looking you're looking at too much media and you're not engaged in enough like human stories hu- and, and and in-person relationships Someone says, I'm just wondering if anyone has any ideas on why I find most atheists I come into contact with are liberal or left-leaning. Am I the only one coming across this, or am I seeing a relatively accurate representation of the secular community as a whole? My experience would be about 85% liberal to 15% conservative. I live in Texas, and I would expect the numbers to be reversed or closer to the middle at least. So he's saying – Based on the demographics of Texas, most people are right-leaning, but it skews the opposite way among secular Texans. Why do you think that is? Um, Typically speaking, the more educated people are, the more liberal they are. You know, on on that liberal political, like the least, the less educated you are in this country, the more likely you were to vote for Trump. The -hmm. less educated you are in Great Britain, the more likely you were to vote for Brexit. Yeah. Okay. So here's a weird thing. The more educated you are, the more likely you are not to believe in supernaturalism. The, mo- the so, more educated you are, mm-hmm. the more like the less likely you are to believe in any kind of sort of Iron Age um, religion. And so, so that's the, that's the correlation. The correlation between those things. Do we know what causes which one causes the the rest? I, I would say that you know, education tends to make you less superstitious. Mm-hmm. Being less superstitious tends to make you feel more responsible for the future of your species. Feeling more responsible for the future of your species is going to tend to make you adopt um, policy positions about things like global warming and campaign finance reform and redistribution of wealth that are just like, these are the things that will actually enable us to last longer because we're responsible. There's nobody coming to fix us. Right, right. And so I, I do, like, I think there's some of it's just correlation and some of it actually is causation. Yeah. I thought of your, uh, one of your favorite authors, Jonathan Haidt, on this one. Yeah. You know, yeah, he has a lot to say about, uh, what is that book? The Righteous Mind? The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Disagree Over Religion and Politics. Right. And sort of he, he talks about some of the correlations in, in this stuff and why some of the traits like openness to experience and and uh, I, I guess purity and some other things that people tend to it tends to skew people one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just the, there are these kind of gut level proclivities that people have and they, they, they determine not only what they believe about God, but also a lot of times what they believe about, you know, welfare reform or or mm-hmm. abortion or, you know, any number of things, pornography. And so yeah. these things kind of run together. Um, and so, you, you know, you, you, you know, you would say like, well, wait a second. Are you saying that like in the most educated countries in the world, like, you know, places like Scandinavia, um, you're going to have tremendous amount of social um, programming and socialized medicine and, 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 and that kind of stuff. And you're going to have almost nobody believing in God. And you're like, yeah, that's exactly what you're going to have. And you go like, right. yeah, but those places will be vicious and violent. Right. And you go like, actually the opposite, they'll be really nice. Yeah. <laughs> now, of course, those places also have the advantage of having kind of cultural homogeneity. Mm-hmm. And so whenever you're in a country where there's people from a lot of different cultures 
and races mixing together, you're just naturally going to get more tension. So I wouldn't blame all the tension in this country on our religious affiliations. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that where you see more religion, you tend to see more ignorant violence. Uh, well, and, you know, mentioning Jonathan Haidt actually gives me a good segue because uh, one question here is, what have you been reading or watching or listening to lately that's been feeding you intellectually or emotionally? Wow. I, I have an answer. I mean, I, I have just a very simple answer. Last night I was, listening to, um, I was listening to Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On on the his latest episode is on the friendship between Winston Churchill and a and a scientist called uh, Frederick Lindemann, and it had this huge revelation in it about World War II and its effect on India and things that had been done not so not so well with Churchill on that, and it seemed just stunning to me. It seemed like this huge revelation. So like yeah, I got a little bit of intellectual food there. Uh, is there anything that that comes to your mind? Well, you know, this has been an incredibly sort of interesting, fertile time. So like, I won't do the whole book review on everything, but I'll tell you some of the things. Okay, so I I just read, like a few of the books I've just read. I just read a book called The Happiness Effect, which is all about how social media um, is changing the way young people relate to themselves and one another. Mm -hmm. And it's all about the incredible pressure that they feel to always portray themselves as happy and active yeah, and how they then see other people portraying themselves as happy and active and they believe other people's Facebook portrayals, but they know that their own are curated and, and it's an incredible amount of pressure that they're under for that kind of thing. Um, mm. So that, that was a really interesting book. Um, what is the book called? The Happiness Effect. And I won't okay. remember any authors, but the good news is in this day and age, you don't need to know the author. Um, <laughs> right. So then the other one I read, I just read... Um, the uh, um, the undoing, which is the one about Danny Kahneman and uh, oh, right. Amos Tversky, and yeah, how they yeah. figured out that human beings are not rational actors economically or in any other way. Yes, which had yes. been I love Kahneman's uh, thinking fast and slow. That's right. That's it's, it's so it's all about. But it, yeah. this this book is really also about their friendship and how their friendship generated these ideas and how neither one of them really could have done it without the other. So it's a story. It, yeah, it's 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 written yeah, by for the, some reason Kahneman the, gets all the sort of glory, doesn't he? He does recently, and that's he won the Nobel, and and Tversky didn't, and of course that didn't yeah. help their friendship. Um, right, right. And their friendship actually ended in a very sad way. Is that um, right? Yeah, the guy who tells the story is Michael Lewis, who wrote Moneyball and The Big Short. He's just a great mm-hmm. storyteller. So that that was a great book. the The book I have a crush on right now mm-hmm. is a book called The Power of Meaning by. Um, Oh gosh, what's her name? Uh, Emily Estevanzi Smith, and it's amazing. It's it's everything I've been trying to say said more beautifully and better. But what she basically says is like, look, we are we are suffering in our culture from a crisis of meaning, where people feel like they're they're disconnecting their lives are not connected, mm-hmm. or, or do, do not do not satisfy them, and there's suicides and there's anxiety and there's depression. And she said the bottom line is is that the sources from which we used to draw meaning, in m- many of them religious, no longer work for anybody. So she said, and then she goes on to say, when I say meaning, here are the four pillars. And she has a chapter each on belonging, on purpose, on storytelling. 
She said, don't make no mistake. Storytelling is how we make sense of the chaos around us. Huge. It's not by not just the stories we listen to, but by the stories we tell. And she says, you know, in church, you would listen to stories and you also told stories like in testimonials and in prayer services, like my mother's in the hospital and this is what I'm trying to do. And people listen to each other. And she said that storytelling and the last one was transcendence experiences that remind us or that make us aware that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. And so, and then she goes through and she talks about all the secular ways that these things can be created. And she talks about cultures of meaning that get created. One of her, she talks about the moth, the podcast, the moth, which Mm -hmm. is the storytelling podcast. And she tells a great story about the guys who invented it, who missed storytelling. And then they were on their porch one day telling each other stories. And they said like, this is, we should do this every week. And they started getting together to tell each other stories. And one of the things that they discovered was is that they didn't know what the stories meant until they told them. And in the process of figuring out how to tell the story, they figured out what it meant. And they were like, oh my gosh, we always have to be telling each other stories or we won't know what our lives are about. Wow. And, I like that. Oh, it's deep. And so this book is like, if, if you're a secular community builder, like if you're one of the people that listens to those how-to podcasts of mine, this is, the, this is your book, baby. It is, it is, it is a much more beautiful version of, of what I've been trying to say. So that was a great book. Oh, 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 oh. I read a book written by a psychiatrist called Talking to Crazy, How to Deal with the Irrational and Impossible People in Your Life. Wow. And for anyone- I feel like we could all use that. Well, we all could. And, 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 and this book is like a compendium of 20 sort of methodologies that you have to choose from. The, yeah. And, and the, I mean, they're right. I mean, he, the guy tells a story at the beginning. He says, I was out driving my car and I was distracted one day and I cut this person off. And he said, and I waved. I was like, sorry. And they waved back at me. It was a guy in a truck. And he's like, okay. And he said, I'm so distracted that two blocks up, I cut the guy off again. (laughs) And this time he honks at me and he whips his truck around me and he forces me off the road. Wow. Into a field. And, and I'm sitting there in the field, and he gets out of his car and he's huge. He's like 6'6", six, six, and he's big and he comes over to my car and he starts banging on my, on my hood and banging on the windows going, you, I'm going to f- mess you up. I'm going to crush you. you know? And he said, he said, I didn't know what to do. And he said, then in just a moment, he said, I just rolled down my window. And he said, you might say that's crazy. He said, I rolled down my window. And, and the guy looked in and I said, hey. Have you ever had one of those days where you just can't do anything right and you just keep screwing up everything and you just wish somebody would come along with a gun and shoot you in the head and put you out of your misery? Mister, are you that guy? Are you going to do that for me? Please, are you going to kill me? And he, wow. said, he said before he knew it, the guy's going like, hey, man, hey, hey, settle down. It's going to be all right. Like, <laughs> you know, we all make mistakes. It's going to yes. be all right. And what he ended up saying so, was is that a lot of times we try to reason with people that are crazy. And he said, when they're in their moment of irrationality, you have to figure out what their, what their crazy is, and you have to kind of meet them at crazy. You have to kind of cut into it. You have to, you have to enter into it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And wow. So he, he, and he, and it was, the book was full of practical things. I mean, it was just, it, you know, and I'm thinking, a lot of it I would give to a secular person who has a very, very religious friend who, who you know, on some level, they're going like, this person's irrational. And what this right. psychiatrist would say was, yeah, so stop trying to reason with them. Mm-hmm. You don't, you don't, I, I have a phrase I use with one of my friends. I, I, you know, I always say like, listen, you don't reason with fear, you comfort it. 
Yeah. Well, and it reminds me of sort of your deconversion story, too. You say, like, you know, I wasn't reasoned into the faith. I didn't, you know, kind of, kind of you're not going to reason someone out. out or you that they weren't yeah. reasoned into in the first place. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so that's a great book. Um, and well, I uh, knew that would be a good question. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, and as you might expect, like, I have 17 more. Um, right. But uh, but those those ones those, those those are four that just jump right to mine right now and a podcast. Okay, give me the pod, give me the podcast. Okay, listen, I'm just going to tell you, the podcast that has affected me the most this year mm-hmm. was a podcast called On Being, and it had it had the the woman who runs On Being. Her name is Krista Tippett, and she was interviewing my, one of my heroes, Elaine Dubouton, who runs the School of Life, and she was interviewing him on enduring love. In, in a long-term relationship, the work of love. And I'm telling you, I've just never heard, I've never heard anybody so concisely talk about what it takes to make your marriage work. Beautiful. There's some meat right there. There you go. Uh, hey, are you up for a couple more? Sure, sure, go for it. Okay, we got a little bit more time. I live in the Bible Belt and find it hard to not judge and bite my tongue. I do pretty good but it leaves a hole inside. Any suggestions? So this guy's surrounded by the kinds of religiosity that he left and that kind of makes him want to say something about it, but holding it in makes him crazy. Do you have any practical suggestions? So I was with my friend Brian McLaren at, mm-hmm. this, at this festival, and we were talking to people about this. And Brian said, listen, Bart's giving you all this great advice about how to plan out the conversation and how to like, you know, nurse this whole thing along and set it all up. He said, but he said, sometimes you don't have that kind of time. Sometimes you're just like you're in a car with somebody and they say something that just is pushes your buttons or they, they, they say something that you just can't like. And, and, and he said, in that moment, what do you do? And, he, and, and then he, he smiled and he said, listen, I'm going to give you a piece of advice and it won't work as well for those of you that have hair. He said, <laughs> he said this is one that works better if you're bald. And then, and then what he did was he, he, he took his hand and he slapped it on top of his head. And he said, here's what you do. You say, you slap your head and you say, wow, I see that differently. <laughs> That's great. And he said, no, notice what you're saying. He said, you don't say you're wrong. Right. Or I think that's stupid. Or yeah. how could you believe it? He just said, you, you just go, wow. <laughs> like, I see that differently. And he said, of course, that'll catch the other person off guard. Well, it's, it's pretty explosive. Yeah, it's kind of like this little explosion of energy. And he said, what would you say? Like, like and, and, you know, and so, and so, John, what would you say if you said something and I was like, wow, I see that differently? I don't know. I think it would take me aback a little bit. But, the, but I'd probably ask you how you see it. Yeah, yeah. You say, how do I see it? And, and, then, and then Brian said, and then the thing you say is, he said, you go, you know what? I, 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 don't, feel, I don't feel confident talking about it right now. But he said, if you'd like to have coffee with me or, or if we could have lunch later on, like I'd be willing to talk to you about it, but I, I don't feel confident talking about it right now. Mm-hmm. And he said, that gets you, he said, the important thing is, is if you don't say you see things differently, then you feel like you walked away, you feel lesser, you feel complicit, you feel weak, you feel like a, like, like a coward. You didn't, you were still in the closet. But if you come, in a, if you come out and argue, you may be the only person in that room that thinks the way that you think. You, you, you may not be in a situation where it would be appropriate. You, you, may, you may not be prepared. And so he said, this is the trick. Wow. And so actually we had like 300 people there. 
And, and I, I said, okay, stop, Brian. We're going to practice. And so I said, everybody, <laughs> repeat everything. 300 people, we all slapped our heads. Wow, I see yeah. that differently. Um, <laughs> but I'm telling you, there is something very powerful about somebody registering, I'm not with you on this one. Yeah. But not feeling like they need to school you or correct you. And maybe the other person, maybe they don't want to hear what you have to say. Maybe they'll never follow up with you. But you know what sometimes people do is they know that you're not comfortable. And they also know that like, it's like a game of chicken. So they get to say, yeah, Trump knows what he's doing. And they know that your grandmother's sitting right over there and that you're not ready for a fight. And so you just have, they get to put it out there and you have to take it. And so this is a way of you going like, hey, I'm registering that I see that differently, but I'm also respecting grandma. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it also sounds, it also is sort of an antidote to the, to, to the quick trigger, you know, like Fox news point, counterpoint back and forth that people do today. Yeah. It's nice. And also makes you, it it makes you instantly an incredibly interesting person. As soon as you say, I see that differently. People are like, what? How? Where? We see it differently, but then you don't tell them immediately. Exactly. You see it differently. Yeah. It's beautiful. And then, and then, you know, that gives you a little bit of time to sort of figure out how to, then, then he said, then you can use all of Bart stuff where you figure out how to say what you think in a way that's most likely to be heard. No, that's good. Really good. Uh, confession. Someone says, when I'm not listening to NPR or Hamilton, I listen to Christian music on the radio. I've been an atheist for five years, but I can't help feeling joyful when I hear this stuff. Does anyone else share this quirk? Amen, brother. Amen, sister. I'm right there with you. I can't listen to the pablum of like CCM, like all that kind of like wannabe pop music. But right. man, you give me a good black gospel choir. You like that? Man, you give me a good barbershop quartet. You, you, you give me a little Bill Gaither. You, you, know, you know, and I'm telling you, and the thing is, is that it's the same when I listen to African tribal music. It's the same when I listen to um, kind of any kind of music, Broadway, Broadway show tunes, the, 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 the score from Rent, like anytime somebody is singing from a deeply felt place of emotion, mm-hmm. I can be moved. Well, and you know, sometimes the way I, the way I see that is I'm, you know, I'm from Ireland and came to America. And so the taste of, you know, Irish food makes me feel like I'm home. Yeah, that, that music takes you back, doesn't it? That music makes it it sounds like home to me. Uh, I used to play it. I mean, I used to play keyboards in church bands and stuff like that. If I didn't have some sort of sentimental connection to that music, I mean, it's the sound of my youth. It would be kind of a little oh, weird. It'd be crazy. John, do you yeah. remember? Do you remember when you were making that movie about me? We were riding up in the car, and and we you know we started to talk. About, I love that like, section. The, the other world, the, you know, something about like what my dad used to teach me. And I said, remember, you used to teach me that horrible song about like this world is not my. And my dad starts singing, and then I start harmonizing, <laughs> and we sang that song. Well, we sang, you know, and you go like, how can you sing that song? And I go like, that song is something that my father and I sang together all our lives, right? And right. and and it means something to me. But the other thing is, is that when people are singing. Help me, carry me through. I know I'm gonna make it. I can't make it without you. All those things. These are very human emotions. I mean, the first yes. thing you learn as a child laying in the bed is when you're in trouble, cry out, and somebody will come and somebody will come and help you. I mean, it is very natural to cry out. And yeah. a lot of gospel music 
is somebody crying out. And I think that the reality is, is that a lot of us know that the, when, when they say, God never, God ne- Jesus never let me down. And the question is, really, was it Jesus that didn't let you down or was it the fellowship in your church that paid mm. your rent and, and that right. got you into drug rehab and that helped you find a new place to live? And so if you, if you just understand that what they're really singing about is the experience of being part of a loving community, well, shoot, then you can sing along. Yeah, and there are things, too, that are kind of crossover. Like, uh, I think about U2 is retouring Joshua Tree right now, and uh, I'm going to go, actually, in, in a couple of months. And it's kind of like, you know, you look at a lot of their music, you still haven't found what I'm looking for, you know, and you hear Bono talk, you know, have some faith talk and stuff like that. Uh, but that's, that's again, it's, it's hopeful music, it's nice music, it's positive music, people like it. Oh, and it doesn't John, necessarily and, mean you believe it in the way he believes right. it if he, if he does. And John, I mean, like, you walk into a Sunday assembly, mm-hmm. you walk into an Atheist United meeting, you walk into an oasis, you walk into, and you go like, you know what, this is good, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Because yeah. like, like for, and some people go like, oh, and then the other song somebody was singing is like, I found the light, I saw the light. And some people walk into a Sunday assembly and they go, this is my light. Yeah. And some people walk into an oasis and go, no, no, this is my light. And some people walk into one of those hardcore atheist Dungeons and Dragons meetings and they go, this is my light. And so, <laughs> and so, you know, there are, you know, there are, there are human emotions in all of that music. And if you can hear it, now, now some of it I can't listen to. Some of right. it is promising people miracles that will never come. Some of it is telling people that they are depraved and deserving of hellfire and that they need the grace of God. There's a lot of Christian music I can't stomach. Right. But there's some of it. My goodness. It's good stuff. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. Um, here's one from today. I'd love to hear more about the new book and the process of writing it in terms of the relationship between Bart and his dad. What strains, if any, did it place on their relationship? And I I suppose this could relate to the book you guys wrote, uh, Why I Left, Why I Stayed, as well as the documentary film that I made on the same subject. But what about that, Bart? How how are things with your dad these days? Well, I mean, things are things are fine with my dad. I mean, that you know, that book is kind of it, it, it grew out of a conversation. you know, when I when I came out to my dad and told him I I was gone, you know, he he was he was really hurt and really upset and really confused. And he he invited me to go on a trip with him to England so that we could talk it out. And that book grew out of that conversation. Yep. Um, you know, we had like an eight day trip where we just talked and and he asked questions, not because he wanted to undermine me or point out the flaws in my thinking, but because he just wanted to understand like how is it gonna work for you? And, uh, and, and, and so the process of writing the book was much harder and, and, and having the conversations were, was not that hard, but writing them was really hard because I'm not a good writer. I'm not, I'm not a fast writer and I struggle to put words in. It's funny. I was talking to an author today and he said, I write to figure out what I'm thinking. Yeah. I don't, I talk to figure out what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Like I figure things out by talking. That's why I hate working alone. I like working in teams with people because I, I don't know what I really think until we're talking about it. Right. But, but I tend to write, I tend to, what I tend to do is I tend to work stuff out and then I try to write it down. And man, I am bad at writing it down. And so that book was incredibly painful to write. And my dad, who's older, 
is now much more susceptible to anxiety. And he became deathly afraid that we wouldn't meet our deadline and that, that we would, you know, our, we had, our advances had, were out there and he was like, you're going to have to pay back your advance and you don't have that much money and what's going to happen. And all the anxiety of, of just making it work. Yeah. 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 And, and he's like, and, and it was true. I was going slow. And, and, and so, and then, and then there were times when my dad's not always the world. Like my dad is so good on his own that he's not always so much of a team player. And so mm-hmm. sometimes like we would go like, okay, I'm going to say this and then you say this and then I'll say this. And he would go like, okay. So I would write my chapter and then I said, well, now where's your chapter? And he would have like, he would have written the next five chapters and they had nothing to do with what I, what I, what we had decided. <laughs> and so I'm like, damn it. I have to go back and rewrite this whole thing. And so, <laughs> and so it was all practical frustration with each other. Yeah. The, the not the, not the, strain from the theology. Cause we had worked that stuff out a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, even whenever I think about that, that seems like an old conversation now to you and me because I was involved in. Oh my gosh, yeah, all those know, hours. filming that and how all many, that kind of how stuff. How many hours of conversation did you film? I believe we have at least fourteen. Yeah, crazy. Uh, uh, you know, between you and your dad and the and the thing, and you know, just while we're on that subject, people asking how the the movie is or where. Yeah, where how the movie is, is the movie, John? Well, it's finished the post production phase. And now into kind of, uh, you know, we'll be announcing, I'm sure, in the next few months, screenings and, play- and things like that, festivals and where- places where you can see it. But uh, I actually just had one on Saturday, a very small screening, sort of like what I call like the friends and family screening. It ended up being about over 40 people in, a, in an actual movie theater, which was cool. And uh, man, they, they gave a standing O at the end of it. I mean, they loved that conversation part. And just the fact that yeah, I, I think I mentioned this to you as well. I had a guy come up to me afterwards and he said, I, I am Bart. Like, I have Bart's, you know, I, I am a, not a believer. I see the world the way Bart does. I, I see the universe the way Bart does, but I, but I never saw the positivity in that. He says, I always was kind of a nihilist, like, oh, you know, there is no meaning, you know, and never really, he, he was never able to see that sort of positive humanist vision that you see yeah and he really got a lot out of it man i mean he really did like he told me he says i i need to watch that again you know ah, so that's good man yeah yeah it's good stuff it's i mean, good that, stuff. I mean ultimately i mean that's what i mean that's why like you know when people say to me what's the best thing that's happened to you in the last few years all this time in california like obviously the the, the chance to be with those students at usc for three years was just unbelievable yeah um but john this podcast which i would have never done if you hadn't told me to and, and showed me how. The best thing about it for me is these moments where people say to me, oh, you mean the fact that the universe has no intrinsic meaning isn't, like, that means we, we make the meaning. Like, yeah, that's not a negative. The, di- the dignity that says, oh, I see, there's nobody coming to save us, so we save each other. Like, mm-hmm. like he's like, there are people that write to me over and over again and say, this is like, like, this is what I've been looking for because I don't want magic, but I don't want hopelessness. I want, I want to fight for something good. I want to build something real. And so right. when I hear a story like that, I mean, it is just, it just makes me feel like, well, let's make some more podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's, no, let, no, let's, 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 let's write some more stuff up. Let's, let's, Let's do better. 
Well, let's maybe do one final question that kind of semi-relates, and I think you might be able to see how it does. Okay. Uh, Someone says, being supremely thankful for the experience of human reality, for me, includes some experience of God or a divine being. Does Bart see any connection between thankfulness, spirituality, and thus a higher power, if not a higher consciousness of some kind, whom or what might be the object of his thanks? Uh, and he says, thanks, love the show, and this chance to be involved. Bob Cleary added on to that, that he struggles with the concept of thankfulness in that way, too. He says, who should I be expressing thanks to? And a third commenter wrote in, interesting, it had never occurred to me that I owed anyone or anything thanks for the general pleasure of living, uh, though I certainly thank you know individual people who helped me along the way. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, I got, I got a few thoughts. I mean, the first thing is, is that, you don't necessarily have to think that anybody made the sun come up to enjoy the sunshine and to be grateful that it's a sunny day. Like you can be thankful and grateful for something, even though it's a gift from nowhere. But the fact of the matter is, is as a human being, there are people to thank everybody that did anything that kept this species alive. Not only for the people that like, for the cave people that like huddled together and didn't die during the ice age so that the, you know, so the stuff could go forward. And not only for the, the, the people that figured out disease, cures to all the diseases that would have killed my family. And not only to the armies that protected, you know, my, you know, my, my people, not only to all that, but also to Darwin, because without Darwin, I might have these hands, but I wouldn't know where they came from. And they're more majestic because I know where they came from. And, and without Kepler, and, 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 and because, because the stars are beautiful, but they're more astounding when you realize how far away they are. And, and, and without um, Stephen Hawking, and without Dawkins, and without all these people, that are, have created the understanding that enables me to, to not only, in, in a sense, it's like, imagine if you had been eating food all your life and then somebody gave you taste buds. Mm. Well, you've been looking at stars all your life, but somebody gave you the ability to appreciate them. And you'd been, you'd been you know, experiencing sight and you'd been experiencing earthquakes and you'd been experiencing things. And then somebody goes like, let me tell you how these work. And you say, well, that just eliminates the wonder and the mystery. No, it increases the wonder. And frankly, the more you know, the more you realize that you don't know. Every layer you understand opens up three other layers that you don't understand. And so for me- Yeah, that's interesting because you you were giving an answer that I didn't think you'd give. I thought you'd say, you know, thanks is, you know- this is this is semantics basically or like you know thanks doesn't mean that there's any any one necessarily to be thankful to but you're saying there are actually a lot of people that you can be directly thankful to in all of this that that will have the same effect and it's almost like in the same even way if they, that you're... even if they didn't do it on purpose even if they didn't yes. do it on purpose like right right like even if somebody if somebody drives their car down the street if you're laying on the side of the road dying and somebody throws a coca-cola out the window you know and there's enough and and, and that enables you to drink and, and you make it and you're able to drag yourself to safety you can go like man i'm really glad that guy threw that coke out the window 
<laughs> and you're not, you're not like, and he's a great guy and I want him to babysit my kids. Like, no, you just go like, I'm glad that happened. And the question is, baby, are you glad that everything that's happened that brings you to the place where you and I are buddies, are you grateful? And I sure am, John, I love you. And like, I'm grateful for everything that made it possible for us to be friends, even though some of what makes it possible for us to be friends, like the Skype connection we're on, nobody did that for us. Nobody was thinking about you and me. But you know what? I'm glad they did it. I'm grateful. And I'm glad for their teachers. And I'm glad for their mothers who gave them confidence enough to go to school. And I'm glad, like, like every blessing in your life has a huge like, you know how at the end of those action movies, um, the, 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 the credits roll, and you're like, oh my gosh, there were four billion people involved in the making of this movie? <laughs> yeah. e- every blessing in your life has a, has a string of credits that is so long that you, there's not even time to, time, to, time to take it in. And you go like, it's just good common sense to sort of go like, man, I'm just generally grateful. I'm just generally thankful. So, so to me, like the idea that there's no God, there's no in person who, who in particular made it happen is actually a blessing because I can be thankful for the good stuff and I don't have to hold anybody responsible for the bad stuff. Because it was hard for me to be thankful for all that good stuff. Right. Oh, I'm so grateful that my Aunt Sally made it here on the plane. She got traveling mercies. And then like some plane goes down and all these people lose their parents and their children. And I'm supposed to go like, yeah, I, I guess God... I guess God needed 400 more angels. I, I, I mean, I'm just really grateful that I can be sort of like thankful for the good and then, and then curse the universe for the bad. Because the universe doesn't care one way or another. But, it, but you know what? It sure does produce some beautiful people. I think that's a good place to stop. Yeah, baby, because you know what? A lot of the people listening to this podcast, they are those beautiful people. And good stuff, Bart. Hey, thanks. And you know what? Listen, if you like, we'll try to do this more. And if you keep, yeah, saying, we should do another one in a while because and, I, I'm there. There'll there'll be more of these. Yeah, and people maybe now if people know that we'll talk about the stuff that they suggest, they'll suggest more stuff to talk about. You can go to the the uh, Humanize Me private Facebook group. Just search it in the in the search bar, and you need to ask Bob Cleary or me. And they'll to, and you always let them in, won't you? But we always let them in. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks for talking. Hey, thanks so much, Bart. All right. We're out of here. For more information about the work of Bart Campolo, please visit bartcampolo.org.